Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. I tell you there's no place like Lighthouse North County. Can I tell you there's no place like Lighthouse North County? The energy, the excitement, the passion that you guys give every single week, y'all inspire me. You really do. You really do inspire me. So Lighthouse, I, I don't, if I don't say it enough, I love you all on behalf of my wife, Joanne and I, and our three boys. We love you. We absolutely thank God for you. And there really is no us without you. We love you guys. Thank you so much for everything that you guys are doing and sowing into and being a part of this church. All right. Real mushy stuff. Let's get into it. Nehemiah chapter one, verses one through three. It reads as follows. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. That's a good baby name right there, Hakaliah. He's looking at me like, don't you wish that on me, Pastor? <laughs> They're about to give birth to a baby. Hakaliah is a good name. No? Okay. And moving on. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and great shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and his gates are destroyed by fire. A little backstory: Ezra, the book of Ezra, we record two different groups of exiles that left Babylon and went back to their homeland of Jerusalem. The first one got there. They built the temple. I'm sorry, they built the altar. The second group got there. They built the temple. And now Nehemiah's asking, how's everything going back at home? And they say, you know, it's not going so good. It's not going so good. So that's what we're picking up right now. All right. So I want to talk to you on this thought. It's a question. It's the title of the sermon. It's also a question. What moves you? What moves you? Let's take a moment and let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for all that you are doing here in this house. I'm so grateful, God, to one more time stand before this church, this community of faith that has gathered in the city of Vista to make your name famous. I pray, God, in our time to hear your word together in this time of gathering that you would speak to us. We come, Father. Some of us are having great days. Some of us are having dark days. But wherever we're at, Lord God, we all lean in. And I pray, Father, that our hearts and our minds would be open and willing to receive what you have for us. God, we want to hear your spirit speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Clap your hands one last time and you may be seated. What moves you? All right, church, it's Pastor Josh to do a little bit of confession here on a Sunday morning. Time for me to do some confession here, all right? So uh, yesterday I took my son Jaden and my other two boys and my wife and it was family day. We're gonna spend some family time together. And so we went to the theaters to go watch a movie that is called Shang-Chi. Anybody seen that movie yet? No. You know what? Where are all my Marvel fans at? Make some noise if you like Marvel. You guys started real brave and then and then it's like not enough claps and you're like, yeah. You know, got awkward with it. So I, I, I took my boys to go watch the movie. And man, did they do a great job with that movie. 
And um, and I say all that because there's been a lot of these movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and some of them aren't so good. I mean, I was talking to some of the young men earlier. I said, man, they they took an L with Black Widow, but they redeemed themselves with this, you know, Ten Rings movie. I really enjoyed the movie because it weaved together some of what we learned in the story of Iron Man 3 that was made in 2013, and they're pulling it into 2021. I mean, I love movies that do that. How many like movies that do that? They just It's just layered, just layers and layers and layers. So I enjoyed myself. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. There was people making appearances in the movie and I'm looking at my son, Jaden, in the theater. I'm like, oh my God, they brought back the Mandarin, you know? Sorry, spoiler alert. And I'm like, just loving it. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. But gonna be honest with you, I did not grow up liking Marvel. I didn't. I did not grow up a fan of superheroes. I did not grow up a fan of the X-Men. Those type of movies absolutely bored me. I did not like watching them at all. They were not my types of movies. I'm more of a Denzel Washington guy. How many Denzel fans we got in the tent today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man on Fire. My God, that's a movie. I mean, I love Denzel. And that's more uh, of my vibe. But, you know, I've got this boy who's 11 years old, and, you know, when he started getting to 8, 9 years old, he fell in love with superheroes. I mean, he absolutely fell in love with Marvel and Cinematic Universe. And, 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 and I realized that if I was going to continue to have meaningful moments with my son, I needed to step into his world. And so as a dad, I said, you know, I'm not that into Marvel, you know what I'm saying? But, but I'm going to step into his world. And so I stepped into his world, and, and wouldn't you know it, I actually like it. I actually started enjoying all of these Marvel movies, and uh, that's why I was kind of nerding out. Now, my wife, she's like, I don't know why you and Jaden love those movies. I don't know why you guys enjoy them. I said, listen, I, I, I stepped into my son's world. I, I, I wanted to have a common bond with him, and, and we've been about it. I mean, we've gone to mid night premieres and watch movies together just me and my boy come on all you dads know what i'm talking about right you got to find that common ground with your kid you've got to find something that's going to get you to go beyond your comfort zone a, a little beyond what you're comfortable with and just spend some time identifying with your boy and so that's what i've been doing with marvel what does that have to do with nehemiah nothing at all absolutely nothing okay i said all that to tell you a cool story no, I'm joking. There's actually some tie-in here that I really want to tie in, and, and, this, and this is the tie-in here, is that I really want to tie in how I, I kind of got out of my comfort zone because there was a need that was greater, and that need was the time that I wanted to spend together with my son. The, the need was greater than my comfort zone. The need was greater than my preference. The need was I wanted to be a dad that could have fun with my boy. I wanted to be that father that can step into my son's world and together have a good time. So now let me lead into that. Was having said all that, I want to lean into Nehemiah because Nehemiah ends up doing some of the same. So, so who is Nehemiah? I've just uh, explained to you a little bit about Nehemiah was um, born in Babylon. He is probably, most scholars say he's probably the grandson or the great-grandson of some of the original Jews that were brought out of Judah into captivity into Babylon. Nehemiah has only ever known Babylon. He's heard the stories of Jerusalem, but he wasn't born there. It's kind of like any of you hear that your parents might have been born in another country or grandparents were born in another country, and they try to teach you the heritage. You're like, but bro, this is all I know right here. 
All I know is San Diego. All I know is beaches. All I know is Chula Vista or San Marcos or wherever you're from. That was Nehemiah. Nehemiah had heard about Jerusalem. Nehemiah had heard the stories of what God did. Nehemiah had heard about God parting the Red Sea. Nehemiah had heard how God had fed Israel uh, with manna in the morning. And when they got sick of manna, he brought them quail. He heard about the stories of how God led them through the desert by a fire by night and a cloud in the morning. He heard all of that, but that wasn't his experience. All he knew was Babylon. Say Babylon. Tell your neighbor Babylon. That's all he knew. That's all he knew. In Babylon, though, he began to, his family, they began to flourish in Babylon. And what we know about Nehemiah and his family is they climbed the socioeconomic ladder while living in Babylon. This is evidence in his job. Nehemiah was the cupbearer. Y'all know what the cupbearer is? Y'all know who a cupbearer is? For those of you that don't know, this is a person that was responsible for bringing whatever the king was going to drink. They would bring the cup to the king. You might think, what is so special about that? This is probably the most trusted position in all of the kingdom because these kings were absolutely terrified that someone was going to poison them through their drink. So they only trusted one person to prepare his drinks. So you know Nehemiah had to have status and he had to have trust if he was going to be the king's cupbearer. You don't get there by being a flake. Come on, somebody. You don't become a cupbearer by being a shifty person. You don't become a cupbearer by saying one thing and doing another. You have to be a person of absolute integrity. It's one thing for your friends to trust you. It's another thing for the king to trust you. You know what I'm saying? It's one thing for your friends to be like, he's got my back. But this is the king. He ain't messing around and he don't care if you're his boy. He just wants to know, can you show up to work on time? Can I count on you? And can you get the job done right the first time? Because I can't be poisoned more than once. You guys get what I'm saying? And so Nehemiah rises up to this position. I want you to get this. He's a person of integrity. He's a trustworthy person. He's a person that has status. And he's a person that the king looks at and says, I trust this man with my own life. That's Nehemiah. And in this passage of scripture, when Nehemiah asks about how are the exiles doing, he gets a report that he really didn't want to hear. Here's what he finds out. He finds out that the, he asks how they're doing. The King James Version says this about them. It says, all of the exiles that are now in Jerusalem, they're going through affliction and reproach. Affliction and reproach. Now, in the English Standard Version, which I just read, it says that they are going through great trouble and they have a lot of shame that they're dealing with. They're dealing with trouble and they're dealing with Shame. Now, I just want you to pause for a moment and realize Nehemiah, with all that he had going on in Babylon, still cared about what was going on in Jerusalem. Nehemiah, in his wealth, in his success, and in his position, still cared enough to ask, how's everything going back in Jerusalem? You got to understand that Jerusalem wasn't just a place. Jerusalem also represented the spiritual condition of everyone that was um, everyone that was a Jew. 
So, so when Jerusalem wasn't doing well, the spiritual condition of the Jews wasn't doing so well either. There is this synonymity. There's this, there's this likeness. There's this parallel between the condition of the city of Jerusalem and the condition of their souls and their condition of their spirits. So when Nehemiah asks, how are they doing? He hears this terrible report. He says, you know what? They're in a lot of trouble. Now, trouble is speaking to external opposition. Somebody say external external opposition and uh, what that means is they had a lot of enemies they had a lot of haters in jerusalem and they were constantly dealing with external forces that were trying to bring down the jews this is something that had been happening for centuries and it didn't let up once they got back but then it also says that they were dealing with shame so whereas great trouble dealt with the external shame is a posture of what's happening internally okay so shame is something that you feel Every, let, me, let, me, let me say it this way. Shame is something that you feel. No one can make you feel shame. You can only feel shame. Someone can bring up your past, but when you've been forgiven of it, you don't feel shame. If someone brings up your past and you steal and you still feel shame, you've not yet been set free from that just yet. That's still some internal stuff that you need to work through. That's why here at Lighthouse Church, we use the language that we want you to find freedom because how many of you know that you can come out of the world and not have the world taken out of you yet? You can come out of sin, but sin is still in you. That's why Lighthouse Church, we don't want you just to know God, but we want you to find freedom. We want you to find complete freedom from sin and the effects of sin and the, and, and, and the destructive habits of sin in your life. And so for the people in Jerusalem to have both trouble and shame meant they were facing external and internal opposition. And listen, church, if you're feeling like you're facing some of that today, you are in the right place right now. Because I want to talk about some of that. And what's crazy about the fact that they were dealing with external and internal opposition, it was 100% the condition of their city. This is why Jerusalem represented their spiritual condition. Because we read that they were in great trouble and great shame because their gates and their walls were torn down. What do walls do? Walls protect you from the outside. Walls protect you from the external. Their city had walls. But the writer didn't just say that the walls were torn down. He said the walls are torn down, but so are the gates. The gates are what you allow into the city. So when the gates are broken, what comes in has the potential to hurt what's on the inside. Walls will protect you from the outside, but gates protect you from what's going on inside. This is why spiritually speaking, you got to have you've got to have your you've got to have some walls up, some spiritual walls, and you got to have a spiritual gate too. You got to absolutely let the good in and be careful that you don't let the bad in as well. You can't let the external and the internal opposition come to a place where it really starts to bring you down. So this is everything that was going on, and this is what Nehemiah was hearing, and this is something now that really troubled Nehemiah. And, and now I really want to, having laid a foundation, get into this question that I want to unpack because Nehemiah is a cupbearer all the way out in Babylon, but he realizes that the city is in despair and it needed a change. So let me ask you this question. How do you change a city? How do you change a city? Because I think we find some of that right here in Nehemiah. First thing that you're going to notice here is that Nehemiah not only cared about what was happening, but when he heard about what was happening, he began to cry and he began to pray 
to God. He began to cry and he began to pray to God. Verse 4 of chapter 1 of Nehemiah says this. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. If you're taking notes, this is the first thing that I want you to write down. Nehemiah cared enough. Nehemiah cared enough. Now, Nehemiah didn't have to care. Remember, Nehemiah had the good job. Nehemiah had the position. Nehemiah didn't have to care, but he did. Nehemiah didn't have to give up the life that he had aspired and achieved in Babylon, but he did. Let me tell you a real quick personal story about Pastor Josh. Some of you know this about me because I say it so much, um, and some of you that don't know it about me, you're about to learn right now. But I am an introvert. God designed me that way. Do not mistake the do not mistake the fact that I can get up and speak to a room full of people. It doesn't change the fact that I'm still an introvert. And and, and as an introvert, this is what an introvert is, and is not, and what an introvert isn't. Because sometimes us introverts, uh, we we get we fall on hard times. How many other introverts do I have in the tent this morning? It's a few of us, right? Some of y'all are so introverted, you're like, I ain't gonna raise my hand. No, just no way. I mean, this is it. Like, you get this. This is it, all right? You get this little Baptist hand up. That's about it, Pastor Josh. That's it, okay? Some of you are so introverted. But, 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 you know, an introvert doesn't mean you don't like people. It just means given the option, you'd prefer to be alone, okay? That, that's all it means. Given the option, you'd prefer to be alone. Now, listen, I didn't get to choose whether I was going to be an introvert or an extrovert. This is just the way God made me. Look at your neighbor. Tell them that I was made this way, okay? I was made this way. You know, some of you extroverts, you just can't help it. You were made that way. And, um, and as an introvert, again, I, I prefer to be alone. As an introvert, I, I, my sweet spot is probably being alone. Or, or now, I love my boys, so maybe the sweet spot would be watching some football with Jude or watching Marvel with Jaden or wrestling with Jackson. But, I mean, I, as an introvert, I love that. That makes me happy. But, but why do I get up in front of a room and preach? And why do I pastor a church? And why do I lead people? Here's the deal. I still love people. Just because I'm an introvert doesn't mean I don't like people. I absolutely love people. But do you want to know what I love more than that? I love to see God's redemptive work in the lives of people. I mean, that just fires me up in the morning. To see God redeem a life is everything to me. To see God take someone who was lost and now they are found and set on purpose and to see them to, to see them live um, their life to, to please God and to serve God using their gifts, their talents, their abilities to serve God, that is something that wakes me up in the morning. That's something that I'm real fired up about. And it causes me to go beyond the fact that I'm an introvert and still give myself to the work of the Lord. Because as much as I'm an introvert, I love to see God's work here on earth. I absolutely love to see God's work here on earth. And in the same way, Nehemiah cared enough to leave his position... Okay, because he's going to go to the king and ask, like, like there's, there's problems here, and I want to go back. That's a little foreshadowing the next week. But before he gets there, how does Nehemiah change the city? He starts by caring. He starts by caring. Listen, we also see this in the life of Jesus. We see this in the life of Jesus, how he would walk into a town. And the Bible says this time and time again throughout the New Testament. Jesus would step into a town, and when he was in the town, the Bible said he would see the need of the people, and he was moved with compassion. He was absolutely moved with compassion. As a matter of fact, every time he got ready to do a miracle, it's because he first was moved with compassion. 
So he, he would see something and it would cause him to move. Matthew 9.36 says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And because Jesus was moved with compassion, it led him to pray for the sick. Because Jesus was moved with compassion, it caused him to heal the blind person. Because Jesus was moved with compassion, it allowed him to heal the woman with the issue of blood. Because Jesus was moved Moved with compassion, he healed the centurion's servant back at home. This happened over and over and over and over again. He would see a need and it would move him with compassion. He'd be so moved with love. He, he'd see something that felt like it was unjust and it would move him with compassion. What moves you, Lighthouse Church? What's the thing that causes you to move? What is it that causes you to want to do something? One of the things amongst all the things that I love about what's going on here at Lighthouse Church is we have a culture of serving at this church. And we are working really hard to develop this culture of serving. And do you want to know what I really, really love? I really, really love that our youth pastors, Peter and Ruthie, are adapting this culture even with our youth and our students. And so not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, they do this throughout the year. Every fifth Wednesday of the month, there's a fifth Wednesday. They'll use that as an opportunity to go and serve the city. And so not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, I don't know if you've ever been here on a Wednesday, but that field over there at the Vista school over there is packed. You probably got about 200 kids out there, parents parking everywhere, parking all over our park. I mean, it is packed. And, and, and honestly, I love it. I love it. None of that. None of that freaks me out or weirds me out or anything like that. I love that there are so many people right across the street from our church. But what Peter and Ruthie and our students are going to do is they're going to cross the street next Wednesday and they're going to give away water. They're going to give away Gatorade. They're just going to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to our community. Isn't that an amazing thing to get involved with Lighthouse? I mean, isn't that an incredible thing to do? Rather than look around and be like, man, they took all the parking spots. It's like, no, we're going to go serve them. We're going to go serve them. We're, we're, we're going to go be the hands and feet of Jesus. You might be thinking, it's just handing out water bottles. You'll never know just how far that will go. You'll never know what type of impact you can make just by doing something tangible. Just by going out and being the hands and feet of Jesus. So I appreciate them so much. Let's give it up for Pastor Peter and Ruthie doing a phenomenal job. That's what compassion is. That, 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 that's what being moved with compassion looks like. When, when you, you step beyond yourself and, and you do something greater. When, when you step beyond your comfort zone. When the introvert goes out and does something they're not totally comfortable doing because they're moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Now, Nehemiah, he starts to pray. Now, I love this because the first thing Nehemiah does is pray. Look at your neighbor and tell them pray first. Pray first. You know, too many people in the church, prayer is our last resort, not our first option. Prayer needs to always be your first option. I don't care what it is that you've got going on in your life. Prayer should always be your first option. Jesus does not just want to be your Sunday buddy. He wants to be the center of your life, and he wants to be involved in every area of your life. If you got a hard meeting at work, pray first. If you're having a hard conversation with your wife, pray first. If you're praying for your children that are going out, pray first. Whatever you do, tell your neighbor again, pray first. First. And that's what Nehemiah does. He sees a need. First thing he does is he prays. 
he comes to God and he starts to pray. And as he pray, I love what he does here. And there's really a, some, some truth and some principles that I want you to get out of Nehemiah's prayer. He says this, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, now watch this, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, now this is a beautiful prayer because what Nehemiah is doing, if you're still taking notes, write this down. Nehemiah appeals to the nature of God. Nehemiah appeals to the nature of God. Listen to what he says. The great and awesome God. Could you imagine if your, con- your son came up to you and talked to you that way? Dad, my great and awesome dad. I'd be like, what do you want? What do you, what do you need? What's on Amazon that's just waiting for me to approve? You know what I mean? Like, that's what it's like these days, huh, parents? Like, Dad, I got something in the Amazon cart. Can I pay for it? It's already in the cart, Dad. Made it easy for you. Some of y'all like, if you got little kids, just you wait, all right? They made it easy. There's just a swipe, and it's ordered. You know what I mean? That swipe can be the devil, too, because, I mean, one time my five-year-old son racked up a $75 bill on Amazon and swipe. I was like, what in the world? So anyway, look at, look at the way Nehemiah comes to God. He, he comes to him, and he says, you great an awesome God. Nehemiah is appealing to God's nature because Nehemiah knows that it's in God's nature to love people. And let me burst your bubble here, religious folks in the tent. Today, it's in his nature to love everybody, regardless of who they voted for, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their gender preference, regardless of anything else, whether they live north or south of the 78. He loves everybody. He loves everybody. And Nehemiah appeals to him, and he's appealing to his nature. He knows it's your nature to love people. It's in your nature to be greater than any trouble or difficulty or trial or circumstance that we could ever fight. It's in your nature to be awesome and to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think. It's in your nature to keep your covenant. And Nehemiah starts praying to God, but it's like he's reminding God who he is. As if God needed a reminder, right? How many know that when you pray and you pray the scriptures and you tell God who he is, it's not so much reminding God who he is because he did not forget. It's to remind yourself who God is. Sometimes we have got to pray the scriptures to remind ourselves about who God is, what his nature is, what his promises are, and what his covenants are. Parents, let me give you some advice. The next time your kid starts acting the fool, the next time your kid starts popping off, I I want you to start praying Proverbs 22 6 get in the room shut the door and said God you said in your word that if I would train up my child in the way that they should go when they are old they won't depart from it and right now God they look like they're departing so God I'm just gonna believe your word I'm gonna trust your word I'm gonna believe that what you said is gonna come to pass anytime you got an issue in your life you better start praying some scriptures Pray the word of God. Open up your Bible and pray a scripture. It's not that God needs the reminding. It's that you need the reminding. But there's something powerful that happens when we make an agreement with the word of God. This is what Jesus told Peter when Peter professed Jesus to be the Messiah. He said this. He said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
Now, I know some religious people have done a lot of silly things with that verse, walking around trying to lose a wife in the parking lot after church on a Sunday. My God. But that doesn't negate the fact that there's powerful truth to that word. And don't let a few jokers who got the verse wrong take you away from the posture of believing God at his word. An agreement with heaven is a powerful thing, Lighthouse Church. I'm going to say that again. An agreement with heaven is a very powerful thing, Lighthouse Church. There's a lot of agreements that you can make. And oftentimes, we make a lot of bad agreements. We, we make some decisions that are bad, bad agreements. Let, let me take you to the Old Testament. God spoke to Abraham and told Abraham, I'm going to make you a father. Abraham's like, I'm 90 years old and the factory don't work. And my wife is far beyond baby-making years. And God repeated the promises to Abraham and told him you are going to be a father of a great nation and Abraham didn't make an agreement with heaven instead he made an agreement with the flesh and he had a son with Sarah's servant and that was an agreement that he made outside of heaven and we do that with our decisions every time God says to go one way and we go another way we're making an agreement with the decision that is outside of God's word so how do you cancel a bad agreement you cancel it with a good agreement you cancel it with the word of God you cancel it with an agreement with heaven you cancel it by praying the scriptures you cancel it by spending quiet time with God you cancel it by believing against all odds you make an agreement with heaven. And we need more people making agreements with heaven, Lighthouse. When you look at something that seems like an impossible task, you make an agreement with heaven. When you're facing a situation where it looks like it's dire and you don't know if God's going to work it out, make an agreement with heaven. Make an agreement with his word. Because whatever you agree to is what you're going to start to see in your life. Anytime you get a negative doctor's report, start to agree with the word of God. Anytime your kids start popping off, start to make an agreement with God. When your marriage starts looking like it's falling apart, make an agreement with God that the two of you stood at an altar and made a covenant with one another and you believe that a threefold cord is not easily broken. Make an agreement with the word of God. Don't make an agreement with doubters. Don't make an agreement with critics. Don't make an agreement with naysayers. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. Let me take you back to the sermon. When, they, when the, the enemies of the Jews came to Zerubbabel and Joshua and said, we can help you build the temple. And, and they knew that they had no business building the temple. So they refused to make an agreement with people who didn't really love them and people who didn't really care for them. Some of you, the reason we want you in a connect group is we want you getting into a group of people with, we want to get you into a group with people who love you and want to see the best for you and that are going to make an agreement with you. It, it, it's, it's, it's not enough just to have an agreement with heaven, which is absolutely powerful, which is what I'm talking about. But do you know what's, uh, what's even more uh, powerful than that? When not only do you have an agreement with heaven, but you got an agreement with your faith community. And now you've got prayer warriors praying on the side of you. And you've got people that are joining with you. People that are praying for your marriage, praying for your children, praying for your finances, praying for your job. Come on, how many know that we activate angels when we pray like that? How many know that we activate angels when we pray those types of prayers? And this is what, and, and this is what we find here in the text. This is what we find here. Nehemiah starts appealing to the nature of God. He, 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 he sees what's going on in Jerusalem, the physical and the spiritual decay, the spiritual and the physical depravity. And what he does is he goes to prayer and he begins to pray and appeals to the very nature of God. He said, God, 
you're awesome. God, you're a covenant keeper. God, you're great. How is it that uh, how is it that we find ourselves in this position? Now, let me move on to verse nine and continue on with his prayer. So he gets to verse nine. He says, but God, if you return to me, and keep, I'm sorry, he's 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 quoting now. Um, he's quoting now from the Old Testament prophets. It says, but if you return to me and keep my commandments, this is God speaking to his people. If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. So Nehemiah begins by appealing to the nature of God. Now, in verse 9, he's appealing to God's covenant. Somebody say covenant. It's one thing to appeal to the nature of God. It's another thing to appeal to the covenants of God. Nehemiah is sharp. I mean, he, he goes back to God, and he's like, you said. Now it's like, it's, it's, it's more than just the nature. First, he's saying, you're loving. You're awesome. You're great. And now he's like, it's like Nehemiah is a good lawyer. He goes, and also, by the way. You told your boy Moses, <laughs> you told your boy Moses that if we keep your commandments, you will gather us together. And so Nehemiah is beginning to prophetically declare and appeal to God's covenant that if I can get back to Jerusalem and if I can get these people to start being faithful to your commandments once again, you promise that though we were outcasted to the most uttermost parts of heaven, you will gather us together and you will bring us into a safe place that you have chosen. My God, I love Nehemiah, how, how just powerful and authoritative he was with God, reminding them of his covenant. And, and, and now I want to illustrate this a bit because we don't pray in such a way to twist God's arm. Okay, I don't want you to get this twisted, okay? There's, there's nothing that you can pray to God that all of a sudden is like, ah, okay, you got me. I'm going to go ahead and do this for you. That, that's, that's not it. That's not his nature. The, the best way that I could describe it is this. I think about my allowances with my boys. Any parents, like, give your kids allowances? Or do you just allow them to live? Where are those at? Like, you get no allowances. They're allowed to live here. You know, it's like, they're allowed to drink my water. I know it's free, but it comes out my tap. You know, it's like. So, we, you know, we've got these allowances that we do with our boys. And, and, and they, when they do certain things, we reward them. But parents, y'all know the truth. I mean, even if my son didn't do his allowance, I'm still going to feed him. I'm still going to clothe him. I'm not kicking him to the curb, okay? He's 11, not 21, all right? That's a whole other story for another sermon. Deal with that on another dime, another time. But, but when I think about my son and I think about this little system of allowances that I have with him, if my son doesn't do his allowances, it doesn't mean that I'm casting him away from my love. It doesn't mean that he's not going to eat. It doesn't mean any of that. And sometimes I think that we try to treat God in such a way where it's like, if I do my chore, you must give me my allowance, and I think the more, a more proper description of it, and again, it's hard. This is God, and I know it's his nature, and I'm trying to describe it with allowances and chores. Uh, just use the analogy for a second. I'm going to love my son regardless if he does the allowances. But isn't it such a joy when they do it, parents? Isn't it such a joy when they actually do the thing that you ask them to do, and you just so happily give them their allowance? I mean, that's a great place. I mean, there's times when I'm, like, having to wrestle with my son to do the allowances. But, but how many of you know that when your, your kids want something, they go into full, like, chore mode, like, on steroids? It's like I come home and the car's washed. I'm like, what the heck? What do you want? What's an Amazon? You know what I mean? It's like, it's like 
that when they want to do it, there's a certain joy, right, parents? I mean, we, we walk around, we walk around like we figured this thing out, man. I, I got this parenting thing down. And, and sometimes I think, I think of that in God's nature too. I think of that in God's nature too. We do not perform in order to get God to do something because God's already done it all. He has absolutely done it all. The same way with my kids. They don't do chores in order to get something from me because I'm going to love them and I'm going to provide for them because I'm a good, good father. That's who I am, right? Like that song says. And, and, and yet there's a certain joy when I see my son doing the things that I ask him to do. And Nehemiah kind of brings that back and he says, you know, we're going to keep your commandments. And when we keep your commandments, you're going to have to gather us, God. We're going to go back and I'm going to get these people on fire one more time. And and when I get them on fire one more time, God, you're going to have to respond. And I'm coming to a close now. So Nehemiah in this prayer is starting to appeal to the covenant of God. Somebody say covenant. And I want to get to this last place right here. We ask the question, how do you change a city? Well, first off, you've got to care enough. Second off, you've got to start praying, okay? And when you pray, start to pray and appeal to the nature of God. Start to pray and believe God that he is going to be a man of his covenant. He is going to do what he says he's going to do. But you, as we do what we do, as we begin to do the things that we're supposed to do, Because how many know that oftentimes when we pray, we feel as though God is going to meet us there? The truth is he's already there. He's going to meet you there. You're the one that's going. He's already there. I got God to do this. No, no, no. He got you to do it. (laughs) I prayed and I changed the course of heaven. No, God changed the posture of your heart. God changed your vision. God changed your perspective. What I love about prayer, it's not about changing God's mind. It's about changing you. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes you. It removes the eyes of flesh that we have, and it gives us to have an eyes of the spirit to see and to hear and discern what God is doing. And that's what I love about prayer. So many times we go to God and we have a plan and prayer straightens you out. And it's like, this is the way you're going to go. Just recently, my wife and I were going through a lot of transition. There's a lot of things that we're praying for. And there was something that I got really excited about. I said, this is it. This is it. This is it. And then the door shut. And I told my wife this recently. Now, this is Pastor Josh being very transparent. It's a little heavier than Marvel, okay? I told my wife, you know, I told my wife, I said, you know, I still struggle with rejection. I still I'm a grown man. You know what I mean? I'm 40 years old. I'm going to be 41 next month. Praise God. Everything's starting to hurt. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, Eddie. He's laughing. Yeah. I had a rough night's sleep last night. I had this this thing that we did at this triathlon thing that we did in the gym. I had a blast. I tell you, last night I couldn't sleep at all. I'm like, I'm getting too old for this triathlon nonsense. I thought I was the man in the gym. I got home. I couldn't sleep last night. I was like, everything hurts. What the heck was I thinking trying to keep up with those 25-year-olds? I'm 40 years old. What's wrong with me? Going back to where I was. Grown men and still deal with rejection issues. When doors close, I get mad. And, and this week I started praying. I said, God, why do I still get so mad? Like, I'm, I'm 40 years old and I'm a pastor and I'm a preacher, and I preach that every door shut is God's way of saying no in a good way. And yet every time God closes the door, I'm still like, I still get like this, like I'm a 10-year-old child dealing with rejection. 
what it does is it pushes me into a place and I get to a position where I worship and I pray to God and I'm saying, God, why do I still with why do I still deal with the rejection issues? And I meet him in this place of prayer and God doesn't change. I change. I'm the one that's coming out better. I'm the one that's coming out empowered. I'm the one that's coming out with fresh perspective. I'm the one that's coming out with fresh vision. I'm the one that's changing in that moment. It's not God. It's not him. He's consistent. He is who he says he is. The Bible describes him this way. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet in all of our changing. In all of the things that bend and twist and pull us, we go back to this place of prayer and we go back to this posture of talking to God and we're the ones that walk out different. Nehemiah wanted to change his city. And in this last portion right here, what I love about this, and this is really what I'm believing for Lighthouse Church. It says there, you will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen, a place that I've called by my name and you all are going to dwell there. There's this thing that I started teaching at Lighthouse Church long before pastoring my own church was even a thought. And I would teach this Bible study to a group of men. I started teaching a Bible study to a group of retired men. They cared enough to listen to me. So we had a great time. I love retired men. They, they're just they're just so much fun to be around. You know what I mean? And so I had this group of retired men that I was giving Bible studies to, and we were going all through it. We actually studied every single book of the Bible together, except for Revelation. We didn't get there because y'all popped up into my life, and I said, all right, no more Bible studies with you. I got to go start a church. So we've been studying every single book, but I get to this powerful point in the Gospels. And in the Gospels, Jesus calls the fishermen to come and be his followers, and he does it when he catches them mending their nets. Remember that passage of scripture where he sees them washing their nets, mending their nets? And um, it's such a powerful descriptor because, church, we have a net that we fish with, Lighthouse. We, we have a net. Every Sunday we cast our nets, okay? People come to our church for the first time, second time, third time. For everyone of you here that's here for the first time, we're so glad you are here. But in the same way, we cast the net. We cast the net, and we're trying to bring lost people back home. That's why we exist. Amen, Lighthouse Church? Our Sunday worship experiences are for lost people to come back home. But in that passage of Scripture, I believe what qualified these disciples to be followers of Jesus is he saw them mending their nets, meaning they prioritized taking care of their systems, the systems that they would use to get fish. It's an analogy of the church, the systems of the church that we use to reach people. Because here's the deal, and this is what I know about God. I'm talking about the nature of God. This is a hard truth, but I'm there. I think there's some more pastors that need to get there, but I'm here, and I've been here for the last six years. God cares more about people than he does about the name of your church. God cares more about people than he does about your denomination. God cares more about your people than he does about your name and your logo and your network and your social media followers and your influence and your brand. None of that matters to God. Matter of fact, just recently, this church, we reached out and we helped another church where people thought, why would you help that church? You guys are kind of like on opposite ends of the spectrum. And I told them, because when God looks down from heaven, he doesn't see these imaginary lines that men have made. You don't see them. It's just people. So it don't matter if it's Lighthouse Church or some other church. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Can I get a better amen on that? 
And if God loves people more than he does our logos, titles, denominations, networks, etc., 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 when God knows that someone needs to be cared for, why would he send them into a church that cannot care for them? He's going to send that family. He's going to send that single father, that single mother. He's going to send them to a house where they can be helped. That challenged me a few years ago. I'm like, well, shoot. I thought like God was going to like, you know, do it here because the music's good. <laughs> we preach good. We got, I mean, it's like, we got good coffee. Why not here? Listen, God's going to send people where they can get help. Now, you can do one or two things with that information. You can just, you can just stay where you're at or you can get better. And I was reminded of this because we had a growth track on Wednesday. Shout out to everybody on growth track. Come on, how many people have taken growth track at Lighthouse Church? We do growth track once a month at Lighthouse Church. It's your next step. If, if you recently made a decision to follow Jesus and you've not gone to Growth Track, go to Growth Track. We're going to help you get to your next step. If you want to join Lighthouse Church, go to Growth Track. That's your next step. If you don't know what your purpose in life is, go to Growth Track. That's your next step. We send everyone to Growth Track so we have an opportunity to sit with them, share the story of Lighthouse Church with them, and then help point people to their purpose. But what I love about Growth Track, it is this monthly reminder of who we are as a church and why I absolutely love this church. But it's also a monthly reminder that we have to take care of our nets. Because Peter and Ruthie are going fishing in about a week and a half. And we're going to go serve all those families, about 200 kids over there. We're going to go serve them. And if they come, can we provide the care that they need? And if they come, are our nets ready to handle what God wants to send our way? I believe with all my heart that God is going to use Lighthouse Church to bring an incredible revival to the city of Vista and all of North County, San Diego. I just believe it with all my heart. And I just want to know, will you care enough to go beyond your preferences? Nehemiah cared enough to go beyond his position, to go beyond his comfort, to step beyond what was convenient and to reach people. If you're not yet serving on a dream team, I'm calling you out and saying, I love. No, I'm not calling you out. I'm calling you up. It's a difference. I'm calling you up. I'd love for you to join our team here at this church because we're out there fishing and we're trying to bring people to the feet of Jesus. We're trying to bring people to the cross of Calvary. We're trying to bring people into a life-changing relationship with our Savior. I'd love for you to get on the dream team. If you don't have a home church, I'd love for you to make Lighthouse Church your home church. But listen, I would just love to see this house go beyond our convenience, go beyond our comfort because we are moved with compassion. Let me pray for you. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads right there where you're at? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for every person that has gathered here. I thank you, God, because you have been with us from the moment we have started. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.